Amen. If you remain standing, please turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. And today we'll be covering verse 8 through 23. Ruth chapter 2, verse 8 through 23. And for the sake of time, I'm only going to read right now from verse 8 through 13. So hear now God's word. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or lead this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before? The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward by given, be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And this is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Well, what a great book that we're in, in this book of Ruth, to understand in life that, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that you might be struck down but not destroyed, afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair. And just for the first two weeks and going through the story of Ruth, we could understand if someone was driven to despair. But this is a story not just that ends and concludes in chapter 1, but is the story of redemption, a story of loving kindness of the Lord, a story even of restoration, a trust in a sovereign God who controls all things. Well, perhaps this is the first time coming to church in a long time. Maybe you're on the stream or you've missed the beginning sermons uh, in the series of Ruth. The story of the book starts with a focus on this person named Naomi, the Israelite who, with her husband and her two grown sons, left uh, the region of Judah to the foreign enemy nation of Moab because there was a famine in Judah. And as we've been going over, usually because of some judgment from God for sin that was not repented for, instead of staying in the promised land, they ventured out 10 years ago, uh, her and her husband Elimelech, and again her two sons, their sons married Moabite women, but then tragedy strikes and all the men in their family die. And so we are then left with Naomi and her two daughters-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. Naomi, after 10 years being away from the promised land, then hears that the Lord is showing kindness in Judah, providing the fertile grounds for the Israelites to eat. So without pretty much anything left in her account, she says, maybe it's time for me to go back. But Naomi says, not for you two young women, Orpah and Ruth. You should stay start over and she even says to go return to your gods and go back to your uh, homeland and to your Moabite homes. Orpah agrees and returns but Ruth in chapter 1 stays behind and clings to Naomi saying that I'm never going to leave you. And so last week we saw the extraordinary commitment and kindness that Ruth showed 
Naomi, if you just flip to, to chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, where Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. This was a very unexpected, and again, as Sinclair Ferguson states, a surprising conversion to Jehovah, the covenant-making God. This wasn't just lip service either, we saw in the beginning chapters. Ruth was all in. She wasn't just saying, oh, I'll just stick with you for a year or two. She is all in. The text says she is forsaking all her old ways, her old identity in this world, her old idols, her gods, and is now committed to Naomi's God for good. And so for the reader thousands of years ago, this is almost preposterous to just the whole story, even making the journey back west to Judah from Moab as a foreigner, because everyone knew thousands of years ago reading this, a long journey back to Judah, a country she is not familiar with, with, her only, uh, with only her widowed mother-in-law and a widow herself, that was a dangerous and unthinkable idea. And then to not want to go back to the comfort of home, and she's young enough that, quote-unquote, she could start over in life, and instead she forsakes all of that to believe in Jehovah? That's unheard of. But she insists and insists, and Naomi finally says, okay, I'm not going to bother you anymore. You can come with me. And so having arrived back in Judah, last week we saw a miracle in itself. Her town barely seems to realize and recognize, oh, is that, is that Naomi who left 10 years ago? The one who, who left is now returned, and in Naomi's bitterness, she tells them, well, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means sweet from the Hebrew, but instead Mara which means bitter, for she believes the Lord is bringing his hand against Naomi. Then we concluded last week with the introduction of what the text calls a quote-unquote worthy man. His name is Boaz. He is from the same clan as Naomi's late husband Elimelech from Bethlehem. And as Ruth is gleaning in the barley fields, again, gleaning was meant for those down and out and the poor to come and get leftover grain from the threshing and the harvesting. And then last week we saw he noticed her and inquires, who is this young woman? And when the servant says, this is Ruth, Boaz already knows the whole situation. He has already heard, as we'll see, he has already heard of Naomi's plight and the wonderful act of kindness shown by this obscure and mysterious foreign woman named Ruth. Then, as we just read this morning, a lot happens just in these several verses, in verse 8 through 13 in chapter 2, he finally speaks directly to her, to Ruth. And from now on, the focus of the plot moves away from Naomi, and Ruth and Boaz are front and center to the very end. Boaz is essentially saying, Ruth, young woman, we're going to meet all of your needs, food, water, provisions, and even protection. The men are not going to approach you. And you are not to go to other fields because over there anything can happen to you. You need to stay here. Bo is pretty, is pretty much making this bold statement that I'm going to guard you from now on and protect you. And so what does the text say? It says she falls on her face culturally. In this context, that means utter humility 
and humility because of Boaz's kindness. And when she asks why, pick it up in verse 11, chapter 2, Boaz says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. I said a, a couple weeks ago that he later calls this act of Ruth to Naomi, hesed, the word that we'll keep repeating every week in the book of Ruth, that Hebrew word for loving kindness, usually spoken about God's hesed towards his people, but can also be used amongst his people. And so he continues in verse 12 to 13, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Now the spotlight goes back to this worthy man, Boaz. What a remarkable character here. As one theologian notes, Boaz already is challenging the notion, maybe at that time, that one is to be ethnocentric in their compassion, care, and love for people, even the sojourner coming their way. And the theologian knows for Boaz, it's covenant identity and kinship that supersedes all of that. He publicly dignifies her in front of others. That's not normal under these circumstances we could imagine. And he not only provides more than what was required by the Mosaic law for those who are poor, but he calls out to Jehovah in verse 12 to bless her for all that she has done because of her true faith in the covenant-making and covenant-faithful God, to then find favor in God's eyes as she has taken refuge, as he says there, this uh, quote about going under the sovereign's mighty wings, an image found throughout the scriptures as a promise for God's people. And so what a hopeful, prophetic image of the salvation of those once on the outside, like Ruth, like us, the Gentiles, now finding refuge in God through Christ, through faith alone, by grace alone. This story should already be reminding us of our own entrance into the kingdom of God. One scholar notes well that just as Ruth was amazed at Boaz's kindness, the same is true of Boaz when commending her for her kindness to Naomi and their family. What spiritual lessons we find here, friends. Ruth sought to find favor, but she got abundantly more. Does that resonate with you? When you view yourself before Almighty God, the God full of grace, Oh, we seek to find his favor, his forgiveness, his love, and then he gives us way more than we could ever expect. And if you remember from verse 7, she only wanted to glean the leftovers, but Boaz goes above and beyond to provide even more. And on top of that, she's an immigrant, she's a foreigner, someone from a quote-unquote enemy state, someone not part of the promised land. Isn't that the gospel, what the gospel tells us? that we were once objects of wrath, enemies of God in our rebellion and sinful nature, but God, B-U-T, one of my favorite words in the New Testament, but God intervened by grace alone. We read this last week in our liturgy, 1 Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's more and more and more with the gospel. 
if you guys have been walking with the Lord for a while, the more mature you get in your faith, the further down the road we walk with the Lord, we keep getting amazed at his grace and mercy over our lives. And my, I grew up in church, but it was really the grace of God struck me in my mid-20s. And of course, I was floored and amazed by such lavish grace. But then 20 years on, of course, every month, every year, I'm amazed again and again. I'm finding new things. I'm seeing my sin magnified and saying, how could you save this sinner like me, oh God? And it just, there's more and more and more and more passages we find in the scriptures. We say, how could you be so gracious to me, a sinner such as I? Boaz such shows us a glimpse of what God does for his covenant people, not just one thing, but the gospel is infinite in encapsulating all that God has done for us and will do for us for eternity. I may have shared this illustration before about my nephew who's now in college, but when he was in fourth or fifth grade, my sister's friend took him to Golden Corral I promise you, I'm not sponsored by Golden Crow. I just like to use them in stories and illustrations. But after they got back, my sister said, oh, how, how did he do? Did he eat? And she said to my sister, you need to treat him better. <laughs> you, he is so deprived, he had no idea what a super buffet was or looked like. And when he walked in, he just looked shocked and she said, you can go, get a plate, and go to the first section. He said, okay. And he kept going back to her and said, am I allowed to go to that one too? She said, yes. She started getting annoyed. You can go anywhere you want. And she said his face lit up over and over and over again. She was amazed. He was amazed at the overabundance. It's not a good analogy about health. <laughs> but in terms of the gospel... Friends, isn't this how gospel immersion should be? You're amazed just walking in. How did I get here? What did I deserve? What did I do to deserve this? Nothing? Oh, how could that be? To then being amazed over and over again. Oh, come and feast, Robin. Come and feast again in the riches of his grace. And years go by as a believer and you see how the Lord has protected you guided you, not just saved you, but blessed you, healed you, restored you, comforted you, and has forgiven all of your sins. Boaz overwhelmed Ruth with his kindness, and God overwhelms us with his hesed more than we could ever imagine. Pick it up in verse 14, and at mealtime Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her ro uh, roasted grain, and she at ate until she was sa satisfied, and she had some left over. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Again, even, friends, by Mosaic law standards, Boaz is going the extra distance in showing favor and kindness to the downtrodden character named Ruth to be invited to eat not just the hard barley bread that is probably stale, but to dip that in wine and eat roasted grain. Back then was probably lavish. 
As one pastor I once heard talk about loving others in God's love, he seemingly loved wastefully to Ruth. She ate till she was full and satisfied, the text says. Perhaps that hadn't been the case for a very, very long time for Ruth. But the text says she's a hard worker. She didn't just take advantage of Boaz's generosity, but she kept on working as Boaz called commands to protect her further. And we can assume that his servants knew this was normative behavior of Boaz, the worthy man. There is no narration that the servants were so taken aback by his care for her and generosity because perhaps this was just a normal response to one who desperately was in need of mercy and compassion. This is the character of Boaz. Look at verse 17 through 19 then. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Again, Ruth worked hard, and when she made her final collection, she had an ephah of barley. Some say that's about 30 pounds. Can you imagine that? Not to... Not only did Ruth work hard in the fields for herself and Naomi, she had some, some strength. She had to carry that sack for probably miles back to the city. And for me, I'd probably be embarrassed if I was walking. I'd be like, hey, can you help me with this? Or can you take over about 10 minutes? But for Ruth, she was committed. And she, was, she had all the endurance to follow through with her commitment to Naomi. She was not all talk. She was committed to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and finding favor with the one who lorded over that field. She still went back to Naomi and presented to her the leftovers in this huge sack of barley that we, we can imagine saved both of them. She didn't say, oh, maybe this is, there's a new pathway here with Boaz that I could just kind of finally ditch Naomi and just kind of start over and just, no, she goes back to her covenant loyalty and friendship to Naomi. And so the blessing that came to their household was because of this man, Boaz. And Naomi is filled with joy at the providential connection and provision that we'll get to in a moment. But little did they know at that time, though, as one theologian wrote, quote, the blessings he, God Almighty, promises will, will pass from Boaz to Ruth to Naomi and eventually to all the elect. This is not just a story of three characters, but about the whole story of the gospel and how God provides and fulfills his promises. What is happening right before their very own eyes is what Paul will say in Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now let's conclude the chapter from 20 to the end. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young man until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young, with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. 
and she lived with her mother-in-law. Friends, Naomi's cast down bitterness, have you noticed, is suddenly turning a corner. Her name is supposed to be Mara now, bitterness, but originally Naomi, sweet, and perhaps a sweet disposition of the Lord is coming over her now. Light is peering through the stained glass. Finally, there is hope, a redeemer. In this context, a relative, a kinsman redeemer is upon them and nearby and is already showing their family favor and loving kindness. It's almost as if Naomi is saying, this can only be because of God's hand and sovereign will upon us. Now, let's unpack this concept of kinsman redeemer a little bit. Some of you know, some of you have never heard of this or have no idea about this concept. But in the Mosaic law, in order to protect covenant people, God ordained for this law to be passed, to be uh, uh, proclaimed to this people. If a husband dies and the couple didn't have a son, a relative of that deceased man would normally come and make, help make ends meet. The word for redeem literally means to buy back, to purchase back, or even to restore. So if you just imagine thousands of years ago, if a woman had to go into slavery because she couldn't provide for her debts and so forth, a kinsman redeemer, a close relative, would pay for her debts so that she could be released and freed again. We could say made whole again. So of course Naomi is through the roof in excitement and joy that is this the redeemer that we've been waiting for? That Boaz has taken notice of Ruth and is already caring for her. Of course, Ruth should obey and stick with his workers and be protected. But back to Naomi, she's saying, this, how can this be? You're a, you're a Moabite. You're a foreigner. And he has already taken care and notice of you. Now, we're going to connect the dots about the kinsman redeemer as the series goes on in chapter 3 and especially in the final chapter of chapter 4. But the narrator then tells us at the end of the chapter, there was no funny business going on. Ruth was committed. She was still living with her mother-in-law at home with Naomi. But things are picking up. Things in the immediate story of 3, 000, some 3,000 years ago to now in our current state, this side of Calvary and what Jesus has done in his life, death and resurrection, we're starting to see all the pieces come together. Now, if I could repurpose the repeated word for our purposes today, what can we glean then spiritually from today's wonderful passage? Well, I have three short things. There's so many more that you can glean from this, but for the sake of time, just three short things from this story in chapter 2. Number one is we learn about God's attributes through the actions of Boaz. We learn about God's attributes through the actions of Boaz. God's attributes meaning his eternal qualities, can be described as, you guys might have heard this, incommunicable and communicable. Incommunicable are attributes that we can't emulate or be in ourselves. For instance, his incommunicable attributes include his sovereignty, meaning he controls all things. I can't, you can't be that, I can't be that. He's omnipresent, present everywhere. We can't be that. Omnipotence, he's all-powerful. Omniscient, he knows all things. Immutable, never changing and always perfect. Those are things that we can never emulate or be. But there are communicable attributes of God that we could also participate in as a reflection of him. Just to name some and not all of them, of course, such as mercy, grace, 
hesed, which is loving kindness, compassion. We could show these things towards other people, never perfectly as God is perfect in mercy, graciousness, and loving kindness. But yet we could still exhibit the distinctive traits of our great God even in our own lives. But as one theologian wrote, divine grace always precedes good works and our showing of compassion, love, and mercy. Divine grace preceded the grace and favor Boaz showed Ruth with hesed loving kindness. It was because Boaz in the covenant family, worshiping and loving his true God, Jehovah, because of God's grace over Boaz's life, because that preceded in his own heart that intervention, he was then to, able to show love to Ruth. That's the case in every single person who has been touched by God's saving grace. Divine grace always precedes our acting out in love, mercy, forgiveness, grace, compassion, and so on. But as Mary Hannah Scholar noted really well, really helpful to remind us, this was in the days of the judges, remember? We said at the very beginning of the series, where everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. There was no king. Massive, rebellious, and sinfulness amongst the land. But here is this Boaz, the worthy man, who is doing right in the eyes of God and not for his own eyes. He is picturing to us, as the Old Testament does over and over again, pointing for the reader to help us pant for something greater, a model to be fulfilled in perfection yet to come. Boaz was the model that points us toward the greater Boaz the greater worthy man that we saw in Revelation chapter 5 earlier. The greater and ultimate capital R, Redeemer. The next time we desire to show grace, compassion, love, and mercy to the next person, remember that we need to be immersed in God's preceding grace and that God's grace that precedes any good, loving deed or action toward one another. Now, what else can we glean from spiritually from this text. We learn the attributes of God. We learn how we can communicate and reflect his character. But number two is, I like how one scholar wrote that Boaz's field is likened to the church's field. That's number two. Boaz's field is likened to the church's field. And you might say, okay, you know, is that a stretch? How are you making that connection? Well, think about it. The place that we're called to and steward to welcome the sojourner, to welcome the foreigner, to welcome the poor and the needy and the downtrodden, instead of a whip of harshness and judgment and screaming out, you're not one of us, you don't belong here. Oh, but instead we should be first in line to be displayers and embracers of hesed, loving kindness and compassionate mercy. This is our field to steward. How can we do so? Again immersing ourselves in the good news of Christ, going over and over again to learn more about God's preceding grace in our lives to then motivate us to show grace towards others. One author wrote, quote, gospel proclaiming local churches ought to astonish the world with the favor they show at-risk people amongst them. Is that us? Is us preparing for that? So it was a sobering question that I think we as a church should ponder and pray over and through. Gospel proclaiming local churches ought to astonish the world with the favor they show at risk people amongst us. Or is it 
here's the hand, here's the stop sign. You don't belong here. So as in, do I want to only show loving kindness and compassion to those that look like me, were brought up like me, who voted like me, who have the same sense of humor like me, who are into the same hobbies as me, who talk like me, who are from the same theological camp as me, and so on and so forth? Or will we astonish the world by being a church that shows grace and loving kindness because we first have been struck deeply by the immense forgiveness, compassion, mercy, and grace of God? Finally, number three, the sojourner's stewardship principle. The sojourner's stewardship principle. Mary Hannah, New Testament scholar, explains that when God promises people would inherit the promised land thousands of years ago, they would do so not as permanent kind of owners, but God said you will be sojourners in that land. You will be essentially alien residents. God is the one who owned the land. They were to tend and steward that land for the Lord. And this is why Boaz was so gracious and overly generous to Ruth and presumably to so many others. He did not act as if he owned the land, but that he was a steward of the field, that all that, that, that barley and that wheat, that was God's anyway fully. And she writes, Boaz understands that his privileges orig originate Originate in God's unmerited favor. God's generosity always provides the foundation, the power, and the pattern for his people's generosity. What a wonderful sentiment. What a good and helpful spiritual lesson for all of us here today that generosity in time or emotions or service and money and resources, this is all God's anyway. We're just stewards. And if I am to look and review my life, is it generous? Well, it's almost like a one-to-one -one correlation on how much I am grateful and immersed in the generosity of God in my life. And the sooner we can then let go of that tight grip of worldly resources for the betterment and good of others, including your local church body of Christ, the quicker you'll learn the lesson that God's generosity always provides a foundation, power, and pattern for his people's generosities. Amen. We don't own the church. We belong to the church that the Son, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for this body of Christ, for the church universal, the church invisible. We are just stewards of his grace, of his love, of his mercy, to show kindness, to be first in line, to say, welcome. Perhaps you're like Naomi. Perhaps you have no way out. Perhaps you feel like there's no future for you. Come here. Come and find rest. Not in me, not in our people. Come and find rest in the Savior that we want to point to. Let me conclude by connecting the story thus far to the end of all time when the song will be sung of the great capital redeemer, Jesus Christ, read earlier in Revelation 5. I'll close with this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and listen to this, and by your blood you ransomed, you redeemed a people for God from every tribe, from every language and people and nation, 
and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. Oh, how thousands of years ago the story of Ruth connects even to the very end of all days. I love how the Bible works. I would love to hear how the story of Ruth is connecting the dots even for you and how God has shaped your story by the riches of his perfect grace. What a redeemer we love and serve. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the redemption that we find in the one true Savior, Jesus Christ, the one promised all the way from the beginning of Genesis, yet it's been fulfilled in the God-man, truly God, yet truly man, who lived a perfect, obedient life for our sake in perfect righteousness, who died that perfect atoning death on the cross, and after three days was raised to victory over sin, death, and our enemy. Oh, we thank you that we find ourselves in the grand story too. All those who trust alone in the Redeemer. And for anyone here who has not placed this trust in your son for salvation, may they do so. May they not wait. May they not be casual. But Lord, would you overwhelm them with a sense of urgency to find refuge, redemption, and restoration in the true Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Father, be glorified. May we enjoy you forever. May you be glorified forever, O oh God. We pray this in the name of the Son. Amen. Amen. If you're able to.